some emphasis on the Brahma Viharas today and very important to cultivate the Brahma Viharas um, as a way of, of living you know as, as something as um, wise and loving qualities with which to bring to our lives and life is not always so easy and also for our meditation practice. And I said uh, once before when I was speaking, um, I was kind of quoting a friend, an old friend, who said, every meditation is an act of faith. It was an interesting comment, and it stayed with me many years, actually, said it many years ago. Um, because we never quite know what's going to happen. So sometimes, you know, we're just kind of drudging along, strudging along, and, and it's just like, you know, same old, same old. It can be like that. And sometimes extraordinary things happen that we weren't expecting. Sometimes they're wonderful, and sometimes they're scary. Sometimes they're a bit of both. So, uh, Yeah, so in a way, um, when we start on this path, uh, it's, a, it's a going forth. So as, as monastics, when we ordain, when we take, um, when, we f when we fully enter into the monastic life, and it's, it's, the, it's called Papaja, and it's um, when we take the ten precepts and we shave our head and put on the robe and say, I'm giving my life to this for, for now, even though it's not, it doesn't have to be a lifetime's commitment at that stage, but it often is for people. Um, it's called going forth. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like a very clear statement in a way to the universe, you know, I'm going forth from the worldly life into the homeless life and in order to realize the truth of, of uh, the way things are. And so that's a kind of a very overt and clear going forth. And then we wear robes like this. And we look like this, and it's, it's, so, it's a, a clear statement. But when we, when we start to practice, whatever we might be wearing, whatever our hairstyle may be, there is also a certain kind of going forth in that. Even we might not even realize it yet. Um, because we're as we start to practice, you know, when, if you're just doing a little bit of meditation, like a, you know, like a condiment to your life, you might be able to, you know, get away with not experiencing anything too serious. <laughs> but once you get more into the practice, you never quite know what's going to happen next. You never quite know who you're going to be. You, you go, you enter into one 
you know, you, you start a retreat and then you come out the other end and you might be someone you didn't expect. You might have found, um, you might have discovered things about yourself that you didn't know, or you might have even, things may have blossomed that you weren't expecting to blossom, or maybe petals have fallen that you didn't know were going to fall. So it's a going forth, this practice. And some of you may know this directly, and some of you may not. <laughs> but it is all the same. And so, uh, in a way, these, these five indriya, I've been reflecting today, you know, because there's this nice... Um, you know, there's always a tendency to want to make these... You know, they're released, so then you make them all nice and tidy, or this one, these two pair up, you know, faith and wisdom pair up together, and, and concentration and energy pair up together, and samadhi kind of balances it all, which is, which is true, but it's, it's um, also a little bit, to me it's a little bit more like a samadhi, a sati, mindfulness is like, the, like a pivotal point, and then there's a, like a cross, you could say, of, you know, on, each, on, each, on the end of each is one of the other four indriya, and they balance there on, on sati. And it kind of moves around. <laughs> and as long as sati is there, when sati is lost, then it all falls apart. But as long as sati is there, it kind of moves around. It's not as straightforward, perhaps, as pairs. And uh, so I was reflecting on this, on this uh, truth, I suppose, that, that uh, we never quite know what's going to happen next anyway in life, but also in our practice, both. So sati, you know, in a way sati, uh, samadhi, sorry, sorry, hang on, get my words fixed up there. I'm a little bit tired today from my late night the other night. <laughs> Early morning. Um, so sadha, that's what I want to say. Faith, sadha, confidence, is uh, in a way what gets us started. And, and virya, endeavour, is what keeps us going. Samadhi, collectedness of mind, is, can be the, the fruit of that. And panya, wisdom or seeing clearly, can be the fruit of samadhi. And uh, so, you know, we've talked a fair bit about uh, sadha and virya, and a little bit about samadhi and panya. So, um, you know, the, in, when when the mind settles into samadhi, you know, it's often I mean, just before we get there. I just want to say sometimes when when one doesn't easily drop into those places. And it's not necessarily about, you know, the people who do and the people who don't. There can be times when it happens easily and there are times when it doesn't. And, uh, and there are people also who lean in that direction and people who don't. But even the, even the, the people I know, like, um, I think even Ajahn Brahm and, and uh, Shaila Catherine, who are both like very much jhana, people, they easily go into samadhi, they also speak about, you've got to work at it. 
you put effort in, it doesn't just come out. Um, so it can be like, you know, we hear these lovely things about samadhi, or maybe we've tasted samadhi and it's really, really delicious and wonderful. And uh, we want more of that, and we want to try it if we haven't experienced it yet. And so it has this, uh, this lovely quality, this very, very profound and deep and beautiful quality where our mind drops into a depth and a collectedness that is different, but markedly different from our everyday experience. And the hindrances have fallen away. We're no longer troubled by any of those hindrances in the in the state of samadhi. And it's just you know, it is it is just a wholesome state. And it's and it's beautiful and profound. And so, you know, we want that, of course. And um, so there can be a kind of a, a you know a, a quite a strong kind of endeavour to try and get that samadhi. And that's not a bad thing if it's if it's done without grasping. If there's grasping, then we tend the grasping gets in the way. So there needs to be a certain um, letting go and uh, opening for the samadhi to arise, and also a certain endeavor, also a certain energy and intention. And so then we may experience these states of uh, deep. Um, unification of mind, or deep oneness, deep settledness. And then that can make the mind very powerful. So it's also important that, that uh, on this, in this practice that we have good sila, that we have good ethics, because it, in a samadhi does make the mind more powerful. So if we have a lot of greed, then we get powerful greed when we come out of samadhi, unfortunately. If we have a lot of... Uh, you know, whatever we have, it, 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 the samadhi can can amplify and strengthen. It strengthens the mind. So if the mind, when it's not in samadhi, it has a tendency to go into, you know, have, you know, if you have strong, unwholesome states, then they can also become very concentrated. I knew a nun who, um, she was known for having, you know, very easy access to concentration, but she was also, had very, very strong anger so, you know, good meditation, but that the strength that was in her meditation was also in her anger. And it would come like a force suddenly, out of the blue. So, you know, you have to be careful and you have to um, make sure that it's not just about the, what you get in your meditation, but that your life is supporting um, harmlessness and and ethics, so that you can go into that, those states, and what is in what is what is enhanced is, is wholesome, and not unwholesome. It'll always be wholesome, but it can be enhancing the unwholesome as well when you come out. It can be. So uh, you know to, to align one's life with uh, with what will take you in the right direction, and part of that is to be open to feedback. To uh, to be open to what you know, to have good friends who you're willing to take feedback from. And if you don't have that, you're kind of a little bit in trouble. If you're someone who's 
always blows off um, people's advice or feedback, then be careful because you're going to get yourself into trouble. So it's, uh, good friends are very important. And the Buddha speaks about the importance of good friends and also in the Mangala Sutta that we chanted a couple of times on the retreat now. Uh, you know, um, willingness to accept one's faults is a, an important aspect of, you know, seen as a, as a blessing. It's an important aspect of the path to be willing to receive feedback or guidance or criticism even from others if if they if it's done in the right way if it's done with the right heart and that's something in monastic life that we open ourselves to again and again and uh, it's a it's a gift that as a friend it's a gift that you can give to another you know, to do it in the as best way as you can and as best a timing as you can and as a practitioner it's it's an important thing to open to even if it doesn't feel nice and so and you know it may be that somebody gives us feedback and we don't really agree with it but at least receive it take it in mull it over for a while maybe talk with them about it don't just say oh well you do the same you're worse oh it's only i don't do very often shut up (laughs) it's not gonna it's not gonna get you very far so being open to feedback and, and creating a, um, an environment in your life where your meditation practice is really taking you in the right direction. And so, uh, you know, it may be that we experience those states of, of samadhi in a meditation and maybe, maybe even once in a while dropping into that in, uh, in, your, in your ordinary practice. It can be more difficult, you know, in the in the daily life because there's much more distractions. But it can still happen, and then also on a retreat, there's more. And there's a support for the, you know, for things to drop away, and in the dropping away, there can be this dropping in to us to a state of samadhi. And so uh, there's the the loveliness of that, the beauty and the depth the uh, clarity that comes from that. And so we can be like, oh yeah, I want that. But also um, from samadhi, uh, samadhi supports panya. So even though panya and sadha go together as a nice pair, samadhi supports panya, the arising, the arising of wisdom. And uh, wisdom is the word we use in English to translate panya. But, you know, in English, wisdom has a, quite a broad perspective, so you can be streetwise, you know, and you can be worldly wise, and you can be a wise elder, and all of those things are aspects of wisdom. Uh, but panya is particularly pointing to the wisdom that knows, that sees and understands and knows the arising and falling away of things. So it's this, it's the wisdom of seeing truth, seeing the way things are. And uh, it's an interesting one, this, this, uh, 
seeing the truth as impermanence or seeing the truth of the arising and passing away because again it's something you can see on different levels and you might say well I know that you know of course I know everything's impermanent I know everything arises and passes away of course what's the big deal you know? but then there's knowing it and there's knowing it <laughs> so we can know it intellectually and of, and of course then we can know, yes, I'm going to die. You know, nothing's solid and we can even enjoy um, exploring. Like, uh, I remember when I first used to go to the monastery, people would talk about it, like, you see this bell, you know, is it, is it really a bell? And then you're like, of course it's a bell. <laughs> what do you think it is? And then it's like, well... You know, once upon a time it was it was metal in the earth. It was part of the earth. It was a metal, or maybe more than one metal, in the earth, and it was mined, and it was taken to a factory, and it was smelted, and it was beaten and made into this shape. And this shape has a, has a bellness to it. it. Makes a sound, and we use it as a bell. And then uh, and it can also use it as other things. And then at some point it's going to be, you know, maybe it gets crushed and then it's flattened and then it's not a bell anymore. It's just a piece of metal again. So the bellness is impermanent, you know. So we'd have people would speak like this, and I always used to kind of really enjoy that. It's like, well, that's really cool, you know. That's true. I never thought about that. That's true. It's a bell for a while, and then it's going to not be a bell one day. So it can be an enjoyable thing to to look at and explore, and uh, and it is good to do that with everything actually. You know, the building that we're sitting in here has come together for a while, and once that roof was trees, and those walls were rock. You know, so uh, and that one day it will all fall back again into the, into nature. And maybe trees will grow out of what was once this building. So it's good to reflect in that way. That's this is the truth of things. And and then there's the experiences that can be a little bit more, can kind of shake you up a little bit more. That can happen as a result of practicing samadhi. And that's when we we experience directly the uh, the flux of it all. So we might be um, sitting in meditation and then suddenly we experience everything dissolving or, or we see the body going through stages of aging and death and decay. You know, these things can, can, the mind can experience these things through the meditation practice and it can be scary and kind of shocking because we're seeing more, more immediately Graphically, the uh, the impermanence of all things, and then it's you know because we tend to look at it as like well, there's me doing my practice, and then there's my life, you know, what I'm doing in my life and my plans and all that, and and then I'm going to go on retreat into this meditation retreat and and maybe have some nice experiences, maybe get a little bit wiser, a little bit kinder, maybe too, and uh, maybe even generous. A few things I can do. You know, and then so, and then it can be like, boom, everything starts falling apart. And that's kind of scary. Because uh, 
you know, what about what about my future? What about my job? What about my you know all the things I'm supposed to be doing? If I'm not real, if I'm just forming, if I'm just like <laughs> dissolving here, what about all of that? Help, help. And uh, and that's and that's okay. So you know. It's hard, it, we don't know what, what will happen to all of those things. You know, you might, uh, it might s settle down, and it might, uh, well it always does settle down actually, but it might be that you, some things that were tenacious, that you have been wanting to shake off, fall away. And so you're not quite the person that you were before. So you go back into your life different. And that can have small connotations or big connotations. You know? Sometimes we have to give up a lot. You know, to give up our, our, our circle of friends because it just doesn't really fit very comfortably anymore. And that's a big deal. Or we have to give up our, our work and, and do something completely different because it just doesn't fit anymore. So it's kind of risky. It's a risky process. Um, or maybe you end up shaving your head and becoming a monastic. You, know, you give up a lot to do that. You give up a lot as you step in and then you have to keep giving up again and again and again. And uh, and that can feel like a big deal, you know, if you're on the on the uh, edge of that. Now, ultimately, we have to give up everything anyway. We can't take any of this with us anyway, really. And I remember one of the sisters saying that to me when I was always trying to. I'm quite a greedy type, and then, so I was always trying to give something up, you know grappling with something I was, I really liked, you know, trying to give it up. And, and I remember one day she said, she was, she was uh, kind of more of an ascetic, naturally, you know, easy. <laughs> 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 and she, she said one time, all those things that you work so hard to give up, you're going to have to give up anyway. You know, and it's like, yeah, I never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know, it felt like so hard and such a sort of noble endeavour and it's like, well actually you're going to have to give it all up anyway, so don't make such a big deal about it. So it is, uh, so every meditation is an act of faith. We don't know where it's going to take us. And it's, it's not all about dissolving and dissolution. You know, it's also about the heart growing and opening and, and getting stronger and more beautiful. That's also a, a, a big part of the path. If we're practicing, you know, truly practicing in, a, in, a, in an integrated way. So, uh, you know, we, we also leave behind meanness and fear and uh, strong views, although they can reappear, <laughs> strong views. You know, it's, it's also about, it's like, it's, it's letting it all go. 
is letting go of the stuff that's that we thought was me that is is no longer serving as well as letting go of the well that, that, that kind of is what it is actually it's letting go of what we took to be ourselves that is kind of what happens and that can be um, the, the unwholesome stuff the stuff that we wish wasn't like this and it can also be the um, the basics kind of in a way of, of like that this body is solid and that I can control what's going to happen in my mind you know those things not that they go away forever we wouldn't be able to function if they did but there can be times when that all sort of falls apart too and then it's like Whoa, where's the ground you know and, and then we find out that the ground's falling apart too oh my goodness there's a there's a saying that the practice is like is like jumping out of an aeroplane with a parachute and then realizing that you don't have a parachute at all and you're just free falling and then you realize there's no ground <laughs> it's like oh <laughs> But it's a, you know it's a process. So there's there are times when it's important to find ground. So I was speaking earlier today about um, in one of the groups about the importance of being able to get into one's body. You know, some of us start with a tendency to dissociate and to, and to pop out. You know, not to be quite in the body, and that can be. Um, it can be just a, a tendency, you know, some people are more airy than others, it's, that's, they're all made a little different. And it can be because there's trauma, and so being in the body is a scary place. And so if that's the case, you know, it's really important to, to find ways of coming in, of befriending your body and coming into your body. And, uh, and that the body can be an amazing um, refuge, actually, even though the body is also impermanent, and it, does, it can go into those states of dissolution sometimes in meditation. But it, it can there can also be a way of meeting the body, our body, uh, in in a way that's that we can that can helps us to rest into the present moment, so we're not ungrounded. So there can be a. Um, a solidity and a resting into this body, and part of part of getting there is is befriend, befriending it. So I spent many years of not being very much in my body, and then when I started to meditate, not right in the beginning, but after some time, I, I found there was a meditation technique that was very accessible to me and that was being taught in the monastery I was living in. It was listening to the sound of silence. And actually I can hear it very loudly as I'm speaking right now. Um, and this, this meditation technique would, would take me into a very open and 
quite blissful and, and uh, present state of mind, expansive present state of mind. And it was a lovely state, and so I would love to go there. And loved meditating and loved going into that state, but I wasn't very embodied. And I was kind of not very connected. I wasn't uh, really very connected with the with the history that was in this body. And uh, and that was nice. I liked that a lot. So I, I did that practice for quite a number of years. And and uh, in a, I don't think it has to be done in, the, in that disembodied way. But that's how I did it. You know, and it was like the mind just going into the mind, and the mind was would be quite easily beautiful and expansive and present, almost shining. And, uh, and then at some point there was a recognition that actually I need to come into the body. And to do that, <laughs> there had to be this kind of... Um, I had to let go of that lovely meditation practice for a while. and. Uh, and do this, what I found very boring practice of mindfulness of breathing. <laughs> the mindfulness of breathing enable it, it's, it's like it has to be, you have to have some sense of embodiment. You can't be mindful of your breath without, without a body. This is the body that's breathing. And uh, so for some years, actually for a couple of years, I, I lost that lovely, those lovely states. I didn't experience them. I just had this like... Okay, mindfulness of breathing. Breathe in. It's like this. It's really boring and it's not lovely. And um, and yet there was a certain wisdom that was saying, "Do this. You need to do this." You know, even though my my pleasure dial was saying, "Go back to the other one." You know, that was nice. And so after a, a couple of years, and and quite a bit of. Um, Catharsis, I would say, quite a lot of stuff coming up, and uh, meeting aspects of my, uh, I want to say myself, but I'm not, I don't know that it was really myself, but meeting aspects of my history that I hadn't, that I pushed away, and and of you know, okay, of, of, of myself, maybe I could say that, that I didn't want to ex- acknowledge. So there had to be a an acceptance, I had to accept that there was actually quite a lot of anger in here. That the body was storing. And maybe not storing it as well as I thought it was. Probably other people also recognised it. (laughs) (laughs) And I hadn't realised. And um, so that was part of what had to be integrated. There had to be an integration of the anger that was in this body because of things that happened and things that hadn't happened. And, uh, and there had to be some, some stories had to be made conscious, they had to come into consciousness and, and they would shook me up and shook me around. And, and, uh, and grief, you know, there had to be some tears and some sobbing and lamenting and grieving. And all of those things are also impermanent. And ultimately they're not who and what we are. So there's this kind of honouring of um, the process of, of liberating these parts of ourselves that, that, that get 
pushed away or pushed down that we don't really want to have to accept as you know, we was like, well, that's inconvenient. That doesn't fit in with what I, who I think I am. But, you know, and we find ways. You know, eating was one of the ones I did. Eat something, you know, to uh, push it down. And I did other things before as well. <laughs> so we find these ways of, of trying to keep away, you know, keep those things out of consciousness. And then as we as we practice, they start to push push themselves up into consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so to honor that, you know, that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. And these, the, the, these are, there are causes and conditions for these <coughs> things to be present. There are stories behind them, there's reasons why these things are here. And then you just allow them into consciousness. If, the, if your awareness is strong enough, if the sati... If it's not wobbling, if your sati's not wobbling too much, you can keep that sati nice and steady in the middle, and then you just you let that stuff come up and and be felt and be and expressed, you know, to some degree. You know, anger, you've got to be careful how you do that. Don't go yelling at people and throwing things around. That's not the way to express it, but, the, but allowing it to be felt and maybe allowing the voices to be heard by your own ears, by your own heart. And uh, allowing grief to flow through you as sometimes it needs to do, like waves. It comes like waves suddenly. A great wave of grief will come unexpectedly. You just let it, let it wash through you. And then it'll pass for a while, and then maybe another one comes, and it washes through you, and then and then that passes. So getting to know all of that stuff is part of the path. It's not that that you've got to sort of clear that away quick, and and be this meditator who looks a certain way that we imagine a good meditator looks. But that's all part of the of the journey. And, uh, and it has the teaching of impermanence. So those emotions, they have the teaching, they carry the teaching of impermanence and not self. And it's when we're not really in tune with that teaching that we identify with them and push them away. So it's like the, the, if we're not identified with them, it's, it's okay for them to come through, there's no problem. It's when we're identified that we feel like I shouldn't this, and this doesn't fit my idea of who I am. And then things get complicated. So all of that, you know, all of that is part of the path. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, we can have times when there's, when the practice feels like it's going really well, you know, we, we can say, oh, this, things are getting so great, you know, I'm getting really good meditation, it's really settled, it's really deep. And, and then, Suddenly, boom, a whole unexpected um, memory or mood or whatever it may be arises in the midst of that. And then you've got to work through that for a while. And then you say, oh my goodness, my practice is such a mess. You know? But is it? Or is it just doing what it needs to do? You know, so there's, a, there's like a clearing out. And sometimes... 
um, the, uh, the more beautiful states can be, um, they can precede something more difficult. I'm not, I don't want to make you nervous or anything. It's not always <laughs> like that. But it can be that, 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 that it's that way around. And then you get to you get some of the, the bliss and the endorphins, and then that gives you this the this the sort of the strength and the readiness for something more difficult to arise. And then and then that comes through, and then that, and then that passes. And then there can be a settling in a different way after that. So, you know, the, the path is inviting us to <coughs> let go of all of this. And letting go isn't uh, getting rid of, it's not dissociating from, it's not um, skirting around. You know, it's like, just welcome whatever needs to come right now. <coughs> And know that it's arising, it's here for a while, and it'll pass. <clears throat> whether it's beautiful, or whether it's painful, or whether it's boring, it's arising, it's here for a while, and it'll pass, like all things. So it's a little poem that uh, I feel speaks to this in a beautiful way. Is the poem of Gupta, the guardian. Going forth is no gain. We leave whole lives behind. Not just people and possessions. All your wants, all your fears, all the little rituals that get you through the day and tuck you in at night. Only see that these pretty wooden pieces aren't you and don't belong to you. They belong to the game. I know it's comforting to count up all the squares, run your fingers along the edge of the board and plan out all your moves ahead of time. The world beyond the table only seems dark, like empty space. It's okay to be afraid. Only see that all these pretty wooden pieces aren't you and don't belong to you. They belong to the game. I know it's comforting to count up all the squares, run your fingers along the edge of the board and plan out all your moves ahead of time. Anyone done that? <laughs> The world beyond the table only seems dark like empty space. It's okay to be afraid. So this is, uh, you know, this is from an Arahant Bhikkhuni, this is from an enlightened one. You know, just recognizing how we want to, we want to have a sense of, of certainty, of, of stability, of future. We want to plan, you know, we might be sitting here on retreat planning what we're going to do when we go home. Or planning a conversation we're going to have with somebody. You know, it's like 
holding their fingers along the edge of the board. And then what's outside of that, we don't know. And if we stay within our fears, you know, if we, if we, if we don't uh, venture outside of the known, then uh, the world can stay very small, our world. So this path, is, it's inviting us to, to, leave, to, to leave it all behind, to let it all go. To, uh, it's a radical path. And sometimes it's, it's just like, seems a little stodgy and you wonder why you're doing it. And, and sometimes it's like, whoa, slow down, slow down, it's too much. You know. But it's a, it's a radical path, the path of awakening. Because we're awakening to all that is, that is false. All that we, we hold to that is not, not real. And that can be a lot. So little by little, you know, life, if we're practicing, and sometimes if we're not practicing, life pulls out of our hands those things that are, that are not real. And that can seem scary, because it's, it feels safe to hold on to what we know. And stepping into the unknown is always a bit scary. And yet, this, um, the, the fruit of the path can only be known by, by stepping out, by going forth. In whatever way that looks to you, the fruit of the path can only be known by going forth. Going forth from the known into the unknown. It's, it's helpful to know that you know many have gone before us and uh, and have experienced all kinds of things in the practice and have you know gained deep insight and freedom through this practice and the Buddha says again and again many many times I think over two hundred times in the suttas it comes up. Um, if if it were if this path were not possible, you know, the Buddha would say, if this path were not possible, or the, to realize this path was not possible, I wouldn't I wouldn't ask you to do it. So uh, you know, and he also says, you know, whatever pleasures you may have experienced, that he has experienced equal or greater than those pleasures, worldly pleasures and pleasures of the that one can experience through meditation. And, uh, and whatever pain and difficulty you may experience, that he has experienced equal or greater than those pains and difficulties. And this is the Buddha, you know, who navigated his way through all of that and came out uh, a light in the world. So faith is what 
Yes, it's like when, if, if you go into those times when things are falling apart, faith is what will, what will carry you through. And if you're going through a time of, of you know, trudging and boredom, maybe a little bit more, virya is what's going to carry you through with, with a bit of faith. And, uh, you know, and, and when you see the, the arising and passing away of things and you survive it, which we do, um, then, then that, that wisdom deepens and it also deepens our faith. So they, you know, all of these things, they work together. These qualities work together in our path. So I hope I haven't scared you. Good. But uh, you know, just, just uh, we have still some. You know, we're in an interesting time in the retreat where we've been here long enough to settle, and we don't yet have to plan about going home. So if you are, I'll just drop that. <laughs> so don't waste your time doing that now. This is a precious time. So just to, to come, you know, to have that sense of going forth, giving yourself to this practice, being open to see what happens next. It's a, it's a path that leads to freedom, to liberation, joy, wisdom, insight. Nothing to lose and everything to lose. <laughs> <laughs> So that's my encouragement tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.